Welcome to the Accelibility Podcast. This is a brand new series of conversations on success with people who happen to have a disability. Together, we'll uncover the attitudes, habits, techniques, and practices that enable these individuals to achieve astounding success. I'm a stammerer, I'm a stutterer, and have been since I was five years old. Because of this problem, adversity that I needed to overcome, I would just have to be smarter than the competition and work harder. You know, I I happen to be a stutterer, I have a speech impediment, of course. But then everyone has some kind of disability, this happened to be mine. Stutterers call the telephone the devil's instrument. You tend to stutter more on the phone. Welcome to the third episode of the Accelibility Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Chen. Today we speak with marketing executive Sandra Flom. Sandra serves as chairman and CEO of Flom Navigators, a marketing consulting firm which he founded and which serves the largest pharmaceutical companies in the world. Previously, Sander ran marketing firm EuroRSCG Becker, which he grew to number two in the world. Sander serves on a number of corporate and nonprofit boards and has written several best-selling books on leadership. While others who happen to have a stutter shied away from jobs requiring a large amount of speaking, such as marketing, Sander not only ran towards the opportunities but has achieved extraordinary success. I'm excited to share the wisdom and lessons that Sander has learned in his career on his way to success with you today. Please feel free to contact Team Accelibility to share your comments, questions, or feedback, or to share your own story with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find information about this podcast and previous and future episodes at www.teamaccelibility.com. That's www.teamexcelability.com. You can follow us on Facebook at Team Accelibility or on Twitter at Team Accelibility. Hey, Sander, thanks for being available to chat with us today and to talk about this really interesting area of disability and success. I really appreciate you taking the time out to talk to us. Always good to be with you, Jack. Thanks, Sander. All right, well, let's get started. Can you describe your disability and describe how it impacts your day-to-day life to, say, someone who doesn't already have your disability? Sure. Well, I'm I'm a stammerer. I'm a stutterer and have been since I was five years old. And frankly, it does impact my life being in the communications field, having a consultancy in the pharmaceutical industry. You know, you have to be fluent. So um, I have to practice my, uh, my targets and stay fluent every day or else it's a distraction to my uh, clients. So I think about this impediment in a constant way. Can you describe what the personal experience is like for someone who has a stutter? Say, what does it feel like for the experience of someone who has a stutter? It's always been challenging because if you as a stutterer are interviewing 
with a couple of other bright people who are fluent and you are stuttering your way through the interview, you're not getting the job most of the time. They'll give it to the uh, fluent speaker. So it's always been a challenge. It's always been a challenge since I was a kid. So the experience is kind of, would you describe it as you always feel like you're behind the eight ball or there's something stacked against you? Sure. And there is. It's this, this, this is the adversity that I've always had to come across. I mean, when I was you know, younger, my ambition was to get into politics. I've always loved politics. But of course, you are a frequent speaker a public speaker in politics, and having a bad stutter is not going to make me a politician for sure. Can you talk a little bit about how your stuttering began? Did it happen in toddlerhood, childhood, or later on in life? And can you talk about what your experience was like, how you felt socially, emotionally, psychologically, how that process was for you? Well, my stuttering began actually when I was five years old. My sister was born. I don't had no connection with her. But as we, as we subsequently discern from the NIH, stuttering is a genetic disorder. My uncle was a bad stutterer. I mean, he was a, quite a genius, very successful composer, arranger, but he was in fact a stutterer. I discerned after a lot of research that my stuttering uh, occurred from him. In about 80% of the cases, it just disappears. It starts early in uh, life, but within three or four years, it just disappears in 80% of the cases, Jack. Mm-hmm. For mine, it did not because my mom, who really tried to help me with it, put a little too much pressure on my speech, and that was it. What we learn about it right now is that no pressure on speech at all if you have a stuttering child, and it'll go away most of the time. But with me, it was always, uh, let's go to a speech therapy program. I probably went to every speech uh, therapy program known to man. So the stuttering just got a little bit worse. And so emotionally, psychologically, how was it for you at the time when you realized that you had the disability? When I was very young, of course, it was very depressing that I had to stutter. And I went through all these different speech therapy programs at school. And my mom just took me everywhere. It really didn't help. And this uh, one school, I went to this yeshiva. The rabbi would ask me a question. I couldn't get it out. I knew the answer, but couldn't get it out. And then I got hit by him, spanked by him with a ruler on my uh, hand. Of course, I couldn't get it out. And finally, um, I just couldn't deal with it. And I told my mom and she pulled me out of there. I went to public school and it helped my speech a lot getting out of there. There's some girl that I met when... I was in the um, sixth grade, I think, and I called her one day, and she says, you know, a painter came to the house, and he spoke just like you. He stuttered very badly, and I just hung up on her. That was it. <laughs> so mm. the impact is always there. You know, the kids make fun of your speech, of course, because you can't get the words out and all that, and um, it's always challenging Yeah, from both the social and the emotional way, but I still remember that a telephone call with that girl when I was in sixth grade about the painter who stuttered, still in my mind. (laughs) Right. So what habits, attitudes, or ways of thinking at the time do you think helped you overcome the challenges socially, emotionally, psychologically? Mentorship really helps a lot. I had a, a wonderful English teacher at boys' high school, where I went to high school. I was a baseball player back then. So I had a great mentor there, Richard Rampell, who, who was my English teacher. 
you know, really understood the challenges and he really helped me a lot, mentored me a lot. Uh, so the two mentors in my life with my stuttering, of course, was my mom, who was the best mentor, and Richard Grampel, my English teacher. What I learned from then was because of this problem, adversity that I needed to overcome, I would just have to be smarter than the competition and work harder. And that stayed with me all of my all of my life up until this day, smarter and work harder. And that was it. And that's been the story of my life since then. Yep, smarter and work harder. Absolutely. So we may have talked about this already. What were some of the biggest obstacles or pain points for you growing up with a stutter? You know, I remember going to the movies with some of my pals and watching a cartoon called Porky Pig. Now, many of our listeners are not familiar with Porky Pig. Of course, they finally stopped doing the Porky Pig cartoon, but Porky Pig was a stutterer. Mm. And so I was sitting, you know, in the in this movies with my buddies, and they kind of looked at me at the corner of their eye, not saying anything because they knew how hurtful it was. Of course, if I knew there was a Porky Pig cartoon coming on, I never would have wanted to see this, these, these movies. <laughs> but uh, – but that was that was that was challenging, and thank goodness someone uh, finally put enough pressure on Walt Disney Studios to pull the Porky Pig cartoons off the air. The growing up, of course, was you know high school speaking in class, presentation skills. I'll never forget that I was running for the presidency of Boys High against the captain of the Boys High track team, and you had to get up and speak, of course. And a Spanish teacher who was very cold. Mrs. Roth, I'll never, I'll never forget that. Very cold, never really associated with any of the kids. When I got up to speak in front of the auditorium, she came into the back door, arms folded just to hear me speak, waved at me, smiled at me, and then after I got through, she walked out. But my uh, my speech wasn't very good, and of course, the captain of, of the track team won the presidency handily. <laughs> I had several blocks as I was speaking so yeah, that that was uh, that was that was a little traumatic for me. Yeah, and it sounds like that continued to reinforce the fear that you had that your disability would impact your whole life. Exactly, exactly. But but I think the advice when I really got into trouble with my speech, uh, the advice from my mom and and Mr. Rampell was, you just have to work harder and be smarter, and and that's been the story of my life. Can you talk a little bit about in your younger years, what impact you thought your disability would have on your future success? If you follow where stutterers went, gone in their career, most of them went into uh, careers where they didn't have to speak. Engineers uh, became engineers. Biologists became accountants. And I just decided to go the other way. I wasn't going to do it. So I went into liberal arts, communications, the PR field that first became a speechwriter a long, a long, long time ago. But I just decided that I was not going to follow the path of what most stutterers did. And what led you to that decision? I just decided that, uh, you know, based on all this advice, entering, that I wanted to do what I enjoyed, whether I was a stutterer or not. And I enjoyed communications a lot. And that's what I did. I love that. That means that what you're trying to say is that Mr. Impel and your mom gave you the tool that you needed to be able to go above and beyond your disability and do what you wanted to do rather than what the disability 
would have you do. Absolutely. And to that point, Jack, you know, I hope that anyone with a disability, no matter what it is, finds a good mentor. Mentorship is so important. I mean, I, that's what I tell my students, my, my MBA students. If you don't have a mentor now, go find one. We all need somebody wise to bounce things off when things get tough. And what do you think makes a really good mentor? A really good mentor has a feeling for you, what your issues are, what the world around you is like, and what one has to do to move forward and overcome the fears and disabilities that they may have. How do you overcome it? What do you do? Who do you meet? That kind of thing. Support and advocacy sound like the two keys there for a mentor. Right. Now, I know it took a lot of work for you to become fluent. Can you describe what that journey was like for you and what you think enabled you to become successful at that? In my late 20s, actually, I was still stuttering, still having problems, usual problems at work, you know, but moving up within this big pharmaceutical company, not as fast as I wanted to. Then on TV, I saw a man who was a very bad stutterer, happened to be a chiropractor, a very bad stutterer. They showed the film of his stuttering very badly. Then he spoke and during this interview of a place called the Hollands Communications Research Institute in Roanoke, Virginia, that he went to and in a very intensive three-week program, day and night, that after the program, he was fluent for the first time in his life. So I took a leave of absence, unpaid, <laughs> with my family, uh, you know, unpaid with a couple of kids, went down to Hollands for three weeks of intensive, very intensive therapy. For the first time in my life, after the three weeks, I was fluent. The key, though, for stutterers is you have to work on following what you've learned at Hollands, the targets that you are taught during this. The telephone, I mean, still right in front of my phone right now, it says, Full breath and antelute contour, amplitude contour. Stutterers tend to speak on exhale breath. Fluent speakers are always speaking on a full breath, and that's one of the things we learned at Hollands. So, yeah, that that was uh, the first time in my life I was fluent. But then you find, you know, the fluency sounds good, but then after a couple of weeks, three weeks a month, if you are not following what you learned at Hollands, and how to uh, redevelop your speech patterns, it'll come back. And many people, I'd say more than 60%, what I've been told, go back for a refresher course because they forgot how to use the targets they learned in Hollands. You've been mentioning a target. What is a target? You learn several targets in Hollands. One is full breath and amplitude contour. Amplitude contour is you start speaking, with a softness to the word, and then you go up and then you go down again. There are several targets, how to pronounce hard consonants, uh, the Ks, Ts, Cs. You always try to skip over that and go to the next word, like kick. Uh, You didn't hear the K, kick. Um, And that's how you do it. Those are the targets that you are taught to uh, follow. And there's a list of them right in front of my phone, still to this day. That brings me to my next question. On a day-to-day basis, you still need to maintain, as you've been talking about, how do you keep yourself in fluency in a daily practice? Many stutterers have different techniques. There's still 
a group that meets every single Wednesday night at a Starbucks on uh, Starbucks on 39th Street and uh, Broadway. And there's a there's a practice group when you work on your targets. There's like maybe uh, five to ten people who are there every single week still to this day and work on practicing targets, speaking to one another in, in conversation. With me, I, ha- I have a radio show every week, every Tuesday morning called The Leader's Edge on Public Service Radio. And in order to prep for that, in the gym, I'm, I'm in the gym in the morning at uh, quarter to six. I read the scrolls on the TV sets. And I practice my targets reading the scrolls. So I am okay for the uh, – I'm okay for the radio show. I'm, I'm fluent on, on my radio show. I love it. That practice has enabled you to do something that you may not have dreamed that you could do when you were a child, which is to have a radio show. <laughs> I love exactly, that. Exactly. Love it. Stutterer with a radio show, right. <laughs> Beautiful. Look at that. Beautiful. What are some of your daily career tasks on a very practical level that are impacted because you've had a disability? I know, obviously, having a radio show you have to practice beforehand, but what are some of the other things that are common tasks or challenging tasks that are perhaps your nemesis because of your disability? Well, Jack, you know, stutterers call the telephone the devil's instrument <laughs> <laughs> because you tend to focus more, I mean, you tend to stutter more on the phone than you do one-on-one. So my challenge really the biggest challenge i have is pitching a client getting convincing a client that we're the right company for them to go with by phone very difficult because it's it's a lot of pressure on you you know you have to really be smart as hell saying the right things focus on the client needs and you forget about the speech you know you focus on that client needs and get the business so it, it's it's a whole other thing on the on the phone. It's very challenging for stutterers on the phone. The people that I help a little bit with their speech impediment have a tough time with me on the phone. That's why I have them come to my office instead. We can speak about speech therapy here in the office. It's fascinating that you say that the telephone is much more difficult. In your experience, why is that more difficult? Well, you're looking at a piece of something. You're not you're not speaking one-on-one. You're not looking at the person. You don't see the smile on the other person's face. It's you and this thing in your hand. Sander, you've been the leader for a number of prestigious companies, including CEO of advertising firm Bureau RSCG Becker, where you took the firm to number two in the world, marketing director for Laterly Laboratories for 10 years, now Pfizer, as a member of the advisory board for Marathon Pharmaceuticals and CEO now of your own firm, Flam Navigators, where you counsel a number of the top Fortune 500 pharma companies. You've written a number of leadership books that have become bestsellers and serve on the board of your alma mater, The Ohio State University. Notice how I did say The Ohio the State Ohio University. State. I noticed that. All right. <laughs> Can you describe how your disability had an impact say, by needing to overcome it or serving as a driver of your work or in some other influence capacity for your success? A disability like this, you cannot let it get in the way of your goals. My goal was to become head of the firm, and I worked very, very hard on it. The products that my group handled were always number 
one. Uh, we, we did a lot of innovative things in the uh, firm. I never let the stuttering get in the way of moving the comp moving my division f forward. And that was it. It never got in the way. I just we we did it. I had some tough times at certain meetings with presentation skills. I didn't maybe practice enough before I got up to speak. I probably should have. I focused too much on what I'm saying, not how I would say it. Instead, I was always have to focus on how, then what. Targets first and then what, which I didn't do. So some days it were a lot worse than others. And you say you didn't let it get in the way. What does that mean practically for you? My ambition, I come from a working class family, okay? Never had any money. I got to Ohio State because I was a baseball player and I unfortunately got caught after pitching my third game. But, <laughs> but, uh, but I was a baseball player and I, I loved it. Worked my tail off to stay there. Had a, a million jobs. Did the dirty dancing routine during the summer to make enough money to go back to school because my, my mom just didn't have enough money. Uh, but she never knew I got cut from the team. I never told her. I never wanted to come home again. But, um, but, but that was it. You know, when you grow up in a working class family, there's no one there to help you. There's no one to make a telephone call, Jack, to say, listen, I want you to hire my son um, or I want him to get into Harvard. Uh, I'll, I wrote, just wrote a check for 100000 bucks for Harvard, blah, 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 you know, that kind of thing. That, that doesn't happen uh, for a working class uh, woman or man. You have to do it on your own. And that was it. It was I knew that it was only me that had to do it. There was nobody making telephone calls for me. I had to do it, period. And that was it. In your business career, can you describe an obstacle that seemed at the time insurmountable and how you managed to overcome it, how you managed to tackle it? When I was running the big agency, you, you do a pitch. You pitch against competitive agencies. Most clients that I had you know, invite three agencies in and you pitch for for the product. And um, and that was a challenge. You know, sometimes you were standing outside of the conference room listening to your competitor who was there before you with their pitches. And, you know, you say, wow, terrific idea. Wow, so articulate, so great. And then, of course, you had to come in and you had to introduce your team and give a short uh, a short bio on each of the members of your team. I had to be good, not, I mean, more than good. I had to be great. We had to win the business. So that was always a lot of, a lot of pressure because, because of the adversity. I didn't want to block, stammer my head off there. But you know, there's a lot of tension on you during these pitches, right? You have to mm -hmm. be great or you're not going to get the business. Mm -hmm. When you're in a situation like that, do you think that others know about your Disability. What I do now, what I have been doing since I've been teaching, I'm an adjunct professor of, as you know, management science. What I've been doing at the opening class is say, look, the important thing, students, is the following. I don't care how you say it. I'm focused on what you have to say. So some of you have have an accent coming from another place. Some of you have, uh, you know, a little shy about speaking. And some of you may have a speech impediment like me. I have to be a stutterer. So the first day of class, Jack, I come out and talk about my adversity. 
the uh, stammer. And uh, that helped me a lot during the course of the class. So the pressure is now off me. They know I'm a stutterer. What's something that you learned later on in your career as someone with a disability that you wish you knew in the beginning of your career? Just come out and talk about your disability, which I never did uh, until recently. You know, recently, the last 15 years. It, it's easier for me now to talk about it, being, you know, a mature, a leader of an agency, you know, having a major consulting company within the pharmaceutical industry. It's a lot easier at this stage of my life to talk about the speech impediment and some of the things that I that I did, some of the problems I had early on and what I did to kind of overcome the tension and fear of speaking. So what led you to change, say, your tactic from now coming out and disclosing your disability as opposed to in the beginning and not disclosing it? You know, I think some of the stories that have been written about me being a stutterer, you know, a couple of stories, and and that that's helped. Of course, if you know you try to conceal everything, but then it's okay later on in life when you're a little more mature, when you're more comfortable with yourself, to say, you know, I happen to, I happen to be a stutterer. I have a speech impediment, of course, but then everyone has some kind of disability. This happens to be mine. It sounds like you just started feeling comfortable because people didn't have a, as much of a negative reaction as you might have thought. Yeah. Can you describe a memorable situation in your career where somebody treated you differently because of your disability and how you dealt with that situation? I went to work for a PR agency, Ruder and Thin. I'm not going to mention names of these people. He, he, he died recently. Harry is his first name, though. I did well, and then I got transferred to a, uh, another department. And he was the chairman of this other department. And I came in one day late for a meeting because I was at this other meeting. And he was making fun of my speech right in front of the whole group. Oh, wow. I just spoke back to him. I, you know, I said, I can't believe this is what you do. Two weeks later, I got fired. No matter how much money you're getting paid, no how much prestige you get in this particular job, the big title and everything else, if you're working for a jerk – who mistreats you and other people, get out of there. It's not worth it. You have to enjoy going to work every day, no matter how much you money you're making. You have to enjoy it. You have to be around good people. If you're not, get the heck out of there. That's what I learned. Now, some people in your career have thought that you had a mental illness because of your disability. Can you describe that situation and what you did to deal with that? Yeah, that was pretty much pretty horrible, Jack. Um, for the big pharma company, Natalie Laboratories, my decision was always number one. The job of general manager for the company opened up. I mean, I was sure I was going to get it. How can they not give it to me? They gave it to a manufacturing guy instead, and I left the company. Hurt, depressed, angry, left the company and got recruited to this agency in Manhattan. One day, Christmas Eve, I get a call from the former assistant GM. I said, Sander, I need to see you today for lunch. I said, uh, uh, George, I'd love to see you. But, you know, it's snowing out like crazy. Uh, uh, it's this Christmas Eve. Traffic is, is wild. He said, Sander, it's really important. You know, I have prostate cancer, and I really don't know how much longer I have, and it's really important that I see you. So got in the car, drove up to Nanuet, New York, to, to Chung Lee, 
the Chinese restaurant that all the Lenly people ate in. I, uh, you had a martini first, which back then, you know, it was, you had to have a martini over lunch. And there was George Bywater sitting there um, with a martini, and he had one for me as well as I, I as I walked in. And I see, said, George, good to see you, and I'm sorry about the prostate cancer. Said, I recently had to see you because I'm leaving for Florida tomorrow, and I had to tell you why you didn't get the job. I said, mm, let me take a sip of the martini first. <laughs> So he told me that a member of the board convinced the majority that stuttering is a mental illness, a form of mental illness, and we can't give the job to Sandra. He can't be trusted. I decided that I was going to be more successful than anybody there. That's the thing that really motivated me. And I loved how you turned adversity into a motivator. Yeah, you have to. Sure. You face it every day when it's someone with a disability. Yes, you do. So many young people in their jobs struggle with whether or how to talk about their disability with their employer, whether it's because they feel they'll be stigmatized or they just don't know even how to begin. If you've been in that situation before, what advice would you give to others who are struggling with that? Now that I've been through it and now that I'm a mentor to many other stutterers, what I tell them is come out and let them know at the outset that I'm a stutterer. Uh, so they don't have to listen and kind of cringe a little bit when you uh, block on a word. Let them know at the outset that you are a, you are a stutterer. And because of that, you know, I just had to work a little bit harder and try to be a little bit smarter than my competition. They love that. They love that. Human resources people or whomever you're interviewing with love that you're saying that because of my stutter, I just have had to work harder and be a little smarter. Are there any funny career stories that you can share with us that have happened because of your disability? Well, I don't know how funny this is, but when I was in the Army, I was in the officers' quarters with this big former football player from the University of Tennessee. And uh, he, he really was making fun of my speech back then. I was still a kid, you know, making fun of my speech. I never went to this Holland before Holland. And I went over to him and I said, what did you say? And he, again, right to my face, made fun of my stutter. And I hit him as hard as I could. He didn't move. Did not move. He was a big tackle, University of Tennessee football player. Didn't move. Then he hit me, and I went flying across the room. My nose was broken in two different places. It goes to show you can't pick on big football players anymore. <laughs> that was the end of that. <laughs> so that's my army story about uh, the, not fun, but uh, having to deal with the University of Tennessee football. Don't mess with the University of Tennessee. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> hey, Sander, is there someone with a disability who you most respect? And if so, what can we learn from that person? Number one, Jack Welch. Jack Welch, who, as you know, Business Week uh, called him the greatest CEO of the last 20 years, Left uh, he left you know, he left GE. He uh, took the company from number 10 to number one and kept it at number one as long as he was CEO. Jack Welch was a bad stutterer. Mm. And Jack Welch, this brilliant CEO who's still on, uh, you, know, you still see him in the morning on uh, CNBC, Jack became an engineer because, because he didn't want to speak. And then Jack got his PhD, University of Chicago, I believe, that's my recollection came back to GE as an engineer in Massachusetts 
and they went to a marketing meeting. I said, you know, I really like this market. I like it. I would like to get into marketing. <clears throat> Human resources said, Jack, come on, you're a stutterer. You can't get into marketing. This, by the way, this is in his book, uh, Jack Straight from the Gut. And um, he quit. He just quit that day. A couple of days later, Human Resources called in the back and said, Jack, we made a terrible mistake. I really apologize. If you come in, you will be in the marketing department starting Monday morning. And that was it. Jack, with his disability, grew the company, you know, moved up and up and up and up, never stopped. Again, work harder and be smarter and and did it. He made it. The greatest CEO of the last, the last 20 years. No one has had this record, by the way. No one had the record of, of Jack Welch. The next guy more current is Clarence Page. Clarence Page was on the McLaughlin Report when McLaughlin was alive every Sunday morning. He is the Washington correspondent for the Chicago Tribune. He was our MC at the American Institute for Stuttering Gala in June. He's fat and he's a stutterer. Fabulous, fabulous guy. And remember, he stuttered as a member of the TV show The McLaughlin Report every single Sunday morning. Another, another hero. Obviously, hard work and being better than the next guy, that's really the key pillar of your success and the strategies that you used. Are there any other strategies that you would mention for folks who are listening that have contributed to your success? It comes down to a matter of focus. If you have a disability, you understand that you're just going to have to be better than the competitor. That's it. You're just going to have to be better. You're just going to have to contribute more. You're just going to have to make your boss look a lot better. And most importantly, you have to make a bigger impact on the firm than whomever the competition is. That's how people with disabilities move forward. Make them look good. Make your boss look good. That's the key thing. A disability, your focus is what can I do today to move the company forward? What kind of impact can I make? What are some of the issues that I can fix? I love how you point to someone with a disability and empower them because they are the ones who actually can do that. They've had to make a bigger impact just to stay alive. Exactly I right. I love that. Exactly. I love that. Thanks, Sanders, so much for being available to chat with us. Any other thoughts you want to share on disability and success with our listeners? Well, I think the key thing is to remember that it doesn't go away. It doesn't go away. And the challenge that people with disability has, you have to focus on it. You have to focus on people keep looking at you. People listen to you. So you can't be ordinary. You can't be mediocre. For the rest of your life, every minute, every hour, every day, you need to be better than the competition. There's no letting up. It's not easy, but there's no letting up. I love that. Don't be ordinary. Don't be mediocre. Correct. Well, thanks, Sander. Really appreciate you taking out so much time to chat with us today. Thank you for sharing your thoughts on disability and success. Always good to be with you, Jack. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Sander. This concludes our conversation on success with marketing executive Sander Flom. Sander has shown us that hard work and demonstrating that you are better than the competition, engaging quality mentors, discussing your disability as a way to take the pressure off, and when discussing your disability, talking about how it has taught you to work harder and smarter than the next guy, have enabled him to achieve incredible success. I hope you've enjoyed this episode 
and that you've learned a tip or two for your own life. Tune in next time when we speak with co-founder and owner of the Rodell Food Company and epic adventurist Dan Berlin. Having trained myself enough to um, overcome not being able to see everything I want to see, it's going to train me to be more of a risk taker in a constructive way. Please feel free to contact Team Accelability to share your comments, questions, or feedback, or to share your own story with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find out more information about this podcast and other resources by visiting us at www.teamexcelability.com, on Facebook at Team Accelability, or on Twitter at Team Ability. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thank you.